the Olympics. What happened? So what's your favorite Olympic event? Swimming. Swimming. Cool. What else? Figure skating. Figure skating. Awesome. Ski jumping. Ski jumping. Where they, they do the weird things in the air and then somehow land and you like, how do they do that? Yes. And so what happens after that? So they, they land their jump, they get to the bottom, and what do they do next? What, in any, every event, this is what they do. What do they do next? Well, they celebrate, right? And then they wait for something. And what are they waiting for? They turn their attention immediately to the scoreboard to see how the judges have evaluated their performance. Because as much as they might go, yeah, I nailed it, or oh, I, I didn't nail it. It nailed me. They're always looking to see the judges' evaluation, right? And are those judges going like this? No. Never, right? Never. You never see a judge jumping up and down, right? They're impartial, aren't they? They're doing their best to be or to appear impartial and indifferent, right? And sometimes we view God that way. Too often, I think, we view God that way, that God is somehow up in heaven doing this, and he's making little notes, and he's got a, a stern look on his face, and when you've done whatever it is that you did, he's going to give you his sort of unbiased, cold opinion of whatever it is that you've done, whether good or bad. We need to rebuke that lie. We need to rebuke the lie that God stands up in heaven with his arms crossed and doesn't actually care, isn't emotionally involved, isn't invested in our lives, is, is sitting up there and he is, he's not just the judge who, who makes evaluations, he does, but he's also the one in the stands cheering you on. He's also the one that is the first person to greet you. You know, who's the first person to run up to the, the Olympic athlete after they have had their, you know, they, they nailed the jump. Who's the first person to run up, right? It's a coach who's deeply involved or it's a family member. It's a spouse. We, we have to start picturing God in those ways as well, because he is not indifferent. God is not indifferent. And, and, if we read these laws in scripture as though this is, this is what God's going to measure you against and he's going to give you this sort of a cold reply, as though that's all there is to it, we will have deeply, deeply missed the heart of God that is in these scriptures that he is longing for you to recognize. Would you please go with me to Deuteronomy 4? I want to show you how much God is not dispassionate towards you. He is not indifferent towards you. He is actually deeply involved and invested emotionally in what is going on in your lives. Would you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth one. Chapter four, verse 23. God's speaking to the people through Moses, and he says, be careful, you yourselves, be careful that you do not forget the covenant 
of the Lord your God, which he made with you. So first of all, God and his people are in a marriage relationship. That ought to clue us in that he's not indifferent to our performance. That he's not indifferent to, indifferent to um, sort of the way that he feels about us. It, it isn't sort of apathy. He's in, a, he's in a marriage relationship with his people. We made a covenant together. We went to the altar together. We made vows together. We celebrate life together. There, there's a deep love exchange that happens between God and his people. They made a covenant. They have wedding rings on. So he says, so don't forget the covenant that the Lord your God made with you and go making for yourselves carved images in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Is God indifferent? Consuming fire, jealous God. Is God indifferent? Is God... Um, Withholding his emotions. No, so he's, God is not stoic. God does not view you with stern indifference. He is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then just in case we didn't get that, turn to chapter 5. Moses is now reciting the Ten Commandments, and he says in verse 9, you shall not, uh, verse 8, sorry, start there, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Is God indifferent? And then just in case we didn't get it, chapter 6. Verses 14 and 15. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you, for the Lord your God who is in the midst of you is a jealous God. God is not indifferent. God deeply, deeply longs with fierce passion to have all of you to have all of your loyalty and affection returned to him so that you and I don't have any divided hearts, any divided loyalties at all. Is God indifferent? No. The laws here that, and Deuteronomy has a lot of laws, like if you've read this, right? A lot of do's and do nots, a lot of go this way, follow this, offer this, avoid this, etc., etc. All of those there are there for this very reason. That the Lord our God is a deeply, fiercely, fiery, passionate, jealous God who dearly, dearly loves you. And that's why the laws are there. The laws are there that we might guard our hearts against things that would steal our affections away from a God who is jealous for his people. I hope that as you simply hear the word jealous already, what you are feeling inside is God's love for you being stirred because God deeply loves you. And as much as we might continually say that week after week, Jealousy is a way of bringing that out in a different, that sort of reframes it. God is deeply jealous for all of you. All of you and every part of you. 
deeply jealous. I want to give you an image. I want you to imagine a young couple that got engaged. <laughs> um, I want you to imagine a couple on a beach. And um, the, the husband is looking with fully committed love to the wife. And the wife's eyes are going everywhere else on the beach to every other person. That is the relationship that we see happening in scripture over and over and over again. God will say to his people, you have wandering eyes. And I am fully, fully committed to you. I see only you. But you have gone looking everywhere else. And that, did you notice in these passages here, it was in the God's jealousy is brought up in the context of the marriage covenant that God has between his people. God has fully committed himself to faithfulness with his people. And he warns them, don't become people who look elsewhere for what you should be finding here. It's not going to go well for you. And God himself has deep jealousy evoked when his people go looking for something they should be getting from him. So why do we scatter our affections? Put it that way. Why do we go looking on the beach? Why? Two reasons at least. I'm sure there are many more. One is we haven't properly guarded our hearts. All of these laws are not here so God can give you an evaluation as though that's all there is to it. The laws are here that we might learn the Father's heart and therefore guard our hearts against anything that is going to steal our loyalty, steal our affection, steal our love, steal our trust. Do we know them? Do we practice them? Do we, do we make it our, ha- our habit to guard our hearts in such a way that the Lord has my complete loyalty and therefore I'm not evoking that jealousy? And if we can't say yes in the moment, can we come back to the Lord even now and say, Lord, I hear how jealous you are for me. And I'm here to say, I'm coming back, putting the wedding ring back on. I am 100% in. I will follow you because I have heard how much you love me. Why do we scatter our affections? Because we don't guard our hearts. And because we start to trust other things. Money ends up being one of the things we trust quite a bit. Um, but regardless of what it is for you, there, there are lies that sneak in that make us think, God hasn't or won't provide this for me. And I would really like it. And I, I start going towards that instead. You see, love and trust go hand in hand. When, when, when we start to love something, we then start to trust in it. If we love money and we start to trust, we'll start to trust in it. 
When we start to love something, we start to trust it. And if we start to trust something, we start to love it. Those are mutually reinforcing things. So what do you trust right now that isn't God? It will steal your affection. What do you love right now that isn't God? You will start to trust in it. Be careful of how we scatter our affections. Let's, let's pause for a moment. Close your eyes. Ask the Lord. Lord, will you please give me a heart that responds to you and your fierce jealousy with the right response? Would, would you make me someone who hears about your deep loyalty and returns it in equal measure. Lord, I have, I have actually liked this more than you. Money, shopping, sports, relationships, security, status, reputation, power, influence. I've, I've sought after those things. And they stole a bit of my love for you. And I started to put my trust in my identity in that instead. And I'm here to repent. I'm here to say I don't want to look anywhere else on that beach again. I'm here to rededicate myself and say, I will guard my heart. Amen. My prayer is that God would actually give us hearts like his, where there's, that we, we see and hear his fierce passion and loyalty and jealousy and love for us, and we start to return it with equal measure. We'll, we're never going to equally measure God's love, but I'd like to start reflecting it back to him more and more. This is not a New Testament concept or an Old Testament concept. First of all, um, these aren't the only three places where it mentions God's jealousy. So if you go back to Exodus, you'll see it as well. But let's go to James. New Testament, very close to the end. If, it, if you hit Hebrews, turn right. Hit Revelation, turn left. James chapter 4. It's 
speaking of these particular scriptures that we just read, James chapter 4 and verse 5 says, The scripture says he jealously desires the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. There are things that God put in you, whether it is his spirit or whether it's your spirit. It's a little unclear in Greek whether you capitalize that S or not. But either way, what is in you is something God eagerly, eagerly, passionately longs for. My, my prayer for myself and for us is that we become a people once again of passion. That we, we find that we deeply, deeply love Jesus and that that changes our responses to God. That we don't give him obedience because it's simply written in the book. That we, we give him our obedience out of deep, deep love for the person who spoke those things. That our responses change so that we end up coming to God and saying, whatever it is that you tell me, whatever it is that you say, I have already given you my yes. I give you my yes before you speak because I love you that much and I trust you that much. All of my affections, all of my love, all of my trust is placed in you. That is what God is longing for. He is looking for people who are entirely devoted to him. He is not looking for people who want to show up here and pray a prayer. He is looking for people who will give their entire lives. He's looking for people who are baptized and live that baptism. Baptism is death to self, and we live to God for the rest of our lives. So for those who haven't been baptized, you haven't yet fully committed to God, because that's the basic starting point. It's, the starting point isn't pray a prayer. The starting point is have you dedicated your life to God? If you have, it's baptism. He is looking for people to be baptized and to live that baptism, because it is all in 100% commitment. And this is a time right now where what God is looking for is people who he is jealous for and working for, and he wants his church back. He, God is sick of our indifference. God is sick and tired of our indifference. Revelation 3. I am about to spit out of my mouth the lukewarm people who show up and are happy to pray a prayer and sing a song but are not 100% all in, passionate, dedicated to Jesus. That's what he's looking for. And anything less gets the divine. Seriously. Have we given God what he deserves because he is deeply deeply jealous and deeply, deeply passionate for us? Have I given God what he deserves or am I holding back because I've actually put my trust and my affection in something else that is in him? What I'd like to do is give you a couple moments to listen. So 
Pause. Close your eyes. Ask the Lord a question. Lord, out of everything that has been spoken this morning, what is it that you want to say to me? What are you saying to me? And what is my response so that I come into alignment with your love and your jealousy and your passion for me and for our church? Take a moment to listen. The book of Deuteronomy, as you may recall from previous weeks, is an address to a group of people standing on the edge of the promised land. They're standing on the edge of their inheritance. What they're also standing on the edge of is more temptation than ever before. And hence the reminder to his people to say, you are about to go into a land where there are more people on that beach than you will have ever thought possible. More distractions than you will have, you can possibly imagine. Stay loyal to the covenant. The easiest way to stay loyal to covenant is to be fiercely, passionately in love with the other person. God is fiercely and passionately in love with you and in love with you, us, as a church. And this is a way of guarding our hearts. We guard our hearts first and foremost by staying focused on the beloved. This is how we step into an inheritance. This is how we stay safe in a place that is fraught with danger. It's by staying focused on the beloved. Did you grab these? It's in this that we see that the beloved has stayed focused on us. It's in body and blood that we see that the Lord was not indifferent towards us. God is not indifferent to you, my friends. He longs for you this much, not a cupful. but it cost him his life. That's how much he longs for you. He is so jealous for you and for all of you to get all of you that he will give all of himself, everything. We hear about the Lord being a consuming fire, and he is. And yet his passion took him to the point of being consumed on our behalf. It is deep, deep love for you. May we take these reminders this morning as reminders of that deep love. May you, even in this moment, as you take them in, may it be love going in. We remember the one who loved me 
and gave himself for me, as Paul says in Galatians. Would you take these in remembrance of that fierce jealousy and love? In remembrance of him. hear that third day song in my head. This is my offering to you, Lord. This is my offering to you, God. I will give you my life for it's all I have to give because you gave your life for me. I thank you so much that you gave not simply because it was the right thing to do or because it was what the judge expected or something like that, but you, you gave because you love us so deeply. And thank you. Thank you for the cross. It cost you everything. And yet you decided your people were worth it. Lord, as we move towards an inheritance, an expectation of you moving and working, may our greatest desires be to love you with heart and soul, mind and strength regardless of what it costs us. Lord, would you make us selfless lovers who are less concerned about what we can get from you and more concerned about how we may give to you in such a way that shows you you are loved. Lord, would you make us people that show you you are loved because you have shown us in word and in deed how passionate you are about your people. Lord, would you stir in us passion for you? Love that goes beyond word. Love that will cost. And love that is willing to pay the cost because you are worth it. Lord, may we no longer make half disciples and go halfway. May we be people who recognize that discipleship costs us everything. And may we may the Jesus that we meet be the Jesus who always exceeds expectations. 
It is worth it. We give you, Lord, all of ourselves. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I usually spend the last song listening or is there something that the Lord wants to say at the end? And what I what I heard when I went back is there are some people here today who need to leave something behind here. And so if that's you and you need to spend some time in prayer, either with someone or just on your own at the front, please make this a space where you can do that. And please reach out to those who will help you with it. Um, God is after his church. It's one of the reasons we're seeing more healings around here. We're seeing more healings because what God is saying through that is that he will get you by any way that he can. He is showing you how deeply passionate he is for his church. And he, the, the power is always available for getting people back. If you need healing, we'd be happy to pray for you as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, my friends. Blessings on you.